hopefully we got the live feed going here. So I'm standing down here to help facilitate with that. Um, so for those who are joining us there, welcome. We're glad to have you. I, I was just encouraged by the songs. Uh, I, I picked the songs beforehand, like months beforehand. And so I'm always encouraged when God allows songs that I think are very fitting for a time like this to be reminded who the God is that reigns, who is the king over all things, who holds life and death in his hands. And so I think it's significant that uh, we sang about that this morning. We're going to be moving away from Colossians uh, to uh, Galatians chapter 6. This this sermon kind of has the the title, Christian Faith for a Fearful Pandemic World. And uh, it's interesting, as you've probably followed along, I've been following along with all going on the last couple weeks. It just feels like it's even been like, to some degree, the last week and a half. Um, it went from like no care to a total scare, like very quickly, like it just transitioned all of a sudden. And uh, so a lot of things are going on. And uh, so we understand that there is concern and uh, there needs to be precautions taken and we need to take care uh, to, to be wise. And so hopefully our look here in Galatians chapter six will help us with that. Now let's look at verse 6 through verse 10. Uh, You can follow along as I read. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing, of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning and we ask that you would uh, continue to bless our time together. Thank you for... Uh, the voices that we're able to join together in singing this morning and singing your praises, that you truly are the God over all. And now, Lord, as we open up your word, may it be a blessing to us. May it be a blessing both to those that are here, those who are joining us, but also those uh, in other churches, uh, whatever their, their model that they've had to create for this morning, may, may they still be a people who are committed to, uh, to worshiping you, today. May there be people who are committed to hearing from you today. Lord, may we not be a people who are just caught up in all the, the, the media that is going around and all the news and all that. We need to know these things, Lord, but, but you are actually first and foremost. You are the ruler of all things. You are the one who gives peace to our hearts not the amount of toilet paper we have in, uh, in, our, in storage. You are the calmer of our hearts. And so we come to you this morning as your people, looking to you and to you alone for our hope and comfort. And we pray that you would, you would give grace to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, our, uh, the, the, the main point that I'm seeking to 
uh, see here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, is our theology insists that we welcome the opportunities to do good to everyone. As we consider what a Christian's faith should look like in a world that is threatened by this pandemic and, and all of the philosophy, all of the strategy, all of the, the, the fearfulness even that comes with it, all of the, the danger that exists in it, all of the um, struggles that people are facing, the decisions they have to make, the families that are facing this, this illness, some of them having lost people that they love, how is a Christian meant to respond? And as we see in verse 10, where I'm pulling this idea of doing good to everyone, we see, so then, because of these things that have just been said, we have, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That is hopefully the heart that we will have as Christians in a time like this, that our heart will seek to demonstrate the care and love Jesus has demonstrated to us. But before we get to that section and begin to talk about maybe some of the ways that we can demonstrate good to everyone in this time, we have to answer the two words right at the beginning of verse 10, so then. So because of what, what is fueling this? What gets us to this? And that's where I have this. Our theology is what is insisting this. See, see sometimes we can be a... a Christianity of a dead theology. We believe a lot of things, but they don't seem to affect much. And that's not how Christianity is meant to be. Christianity is meant to be theological. God gave us a book to study and know Him. And theology, the word itself, is a study of God. We're meant to know Him and understand Him. But that theology is meant to fuel us in how we live. And in times like these especially, although it's true in good times as well, um, in times like these, we are meant to be fueled and sustained by the theology that we have, by the theology that we believe, by who we believe God to be, the relationship that we have with Him, how we are meant to know Him and then follow Him. So, these first few questions are kind of going to deal with the text specifically, and then we're going to kind of address it in light of where we are in the world today. So the first question I have is this. What is foundational for doing good to everyone? And I've kind of already answered that, but let's look at the text. Verse 6 is really the start of this discussion here that leads up to this. So the one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. We're going to be just describing doing good and doing good to everyone, this idea. And right here we have this sharing of all good things. Now a lot of people go to this text and talk about how your pastor or whoever's teaching you should be supported financially. And I think that is part of it, but that's not all of it. I'm glad to be able to have the opportunity to sustain my life and support my family through the study of God's Word, through the care of God's people. But it's much more than that. See, as, as a pastor, I'm meant to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And all the benefits that come from you doing ministry, being able to see God's work going forth, His kingdom furthered, is part of the all good things that the teacher shares with those who are being taught. 
but it's the word being taught. The word has to be taught so that those who learn it might then live it out and be able to share all those good things. Without the word being taught and therefore the word then being learned, how is the word going to be lived out? If we don't know it, we won't know what we're meant to do. See, our understanding of doctrine, of theology, is very significant to the the way our lives are lived. Therefore, we need to know it. It says that, therefore, it's important that we sit under God's Word and be taught God's Word. And as a pastor, you know, part part of my education to be a pastor was to sit under men of God for a long time, <laughs> for hours and hours and hours, studying God's Word in dead languages like Greek and Hebrew, so that I might then be able to teach it well to others. So I, I'm going, I've gone through this process. I'm still going through it. I still seek to sit under God's Word being taught when I can, and I learn from it, and I grow in it as well, and hopefully share it with those who teach me. But it starts, what's foundational to us getting to verse 10, the so then, is that the word is taught. And that then in turn we learn it. So that we might live that word out. So that we might share all good things with those who have taught us. So that we might get to the doing good to everyone. Leads me to the second question. How is the word connected to this doing good to everyone? But then we start to read on. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And he gives us two ways of viewing life here. The one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. This is not living out what verse 6 says. This is This is maybe hearing God's word, but then not doing it. I mean, James challenges us on that. I'm going to prep the the women tonight. If you log in and you're on uh, Facebook Live for our study tonight in James, they're going to be discussing this. And the men, we did it last week, discussing. Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. What happens if you're a hearer only? Well, Jesus describes you as... Someone who hears his words but does not do them is like a man who builds his house on the sand. And the winds come and the rains come and the house falls and great is the fall of it. The one who actually hears the words of Jesus and does his words is like a man who builds his house on a rock. And the same winds and the same rains come. Both men. And yet the house on the rock stands firm. I know many of you are you're already playing that childhood song from Sunday school in your head. All right? Just singing it away. Okay, just wait. Hold on to it. When you get in your car and you're going to lunch or wherever you go, going home, sing it out as loud as you can then. All right? <laughs> so, but, but that's the idea. And, and so w- w- we're all living in the same world right now. We're all facing the same winds and waves and storms. And the question is, how is our house Is it that we are seeking to live for ourselves and therefore sowing to our own flesh? And will from our flesh reap corruption? Building our house on sand so that we don't have 
a foundation to hold ourselves up in a time like this. Or, as it says in verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh, from his flesh reaps corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And it's interesting that within the New Testament, like the Spirit and the Word are tightly connected together. In fact, where, where Ephesians talks about being filled with the Spirit, Colossians, in, a, in, a, in a, like a parallel passage where they're almost saying the exact same things, talks about being filled with the Word of God. Like the Spirit uses the Word. The Spirit enlightens us and helps us to understand the Word. It presents the Word to us so that we might then live it out. It's the, to the Spirit that we are sowing our life. And from the Spirit, we can then reap eternal life. The Word, rightly understood, causes us to sow then to good works. Notice in verse 9 the parallel here. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap. Now, he doesn't use the word sow here, but the parallel is meant to be seen there. What, what do we see? The one who sows to the Spirit will what? Will reap eternal life. And notice the parallel in verse 9. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. That's meant to be paralleled with the sowing in the Spirit. Why? For in due season we will what? We'll reap. This parallel continues. So the, the word of God, rightly understood, causes us to do what? Sow to the Spirit or do good. We sow to the Spirit. We live out the, the fruit of the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, then we walk by the Spirit. So our sowing into the Spirit, and the, as the word of God is rightly understood and applied to our life, is sowing good works, is doing Good. In turn, the word rightly sowed will re reap from the Spirit eternal life. That's why he says, do not grow weary in your sowing to the Spirit, in your doing good. Why? Because in due season we will reap so we don't give up. Why? Because we look forward to the eternal life that the Spirit will reap in us through our sowing. Hope is ultimately ground in the Spirit's work. Now, the, Spirit, the Spirit's not something we can actuate ourselves. We can't somehow reach out to this force of the Spirit and pull it into ourselves as if we were some kind of you know, Christian Jedi or something like that. The Spirit is a person, the third person of God, who comes to reside in God's people when they are converted, when they put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. You see, we read about the one who is taught the word, must share all good things with the one who teaches and live out that word, but we have to understand that the very beginning of that teaching of God's word is the gospel itself, that we have been created by God, and we were meant to love and serve God, and yet we rebelled, we betrayed God, we turned against him, we rebelled and, and sought to live in our own sin, in our own way doing what we want to do. God, in turn, being a righteous king, a righteous judge, holy, had to punish sin. Sin brought death. Death both physically and eternally. Separation from God. And yet God, in his love, sends Jesus Christ to us. 
we sung about earlier. It's not that we loved him, but he loved us. Gave himself for us. He sends Jesus for us to save us. And in turn, all who put their trust in him by grace through faith in Christ alone receive the Spirit. And if the Spirit lives in us, what does that mean? That means we can sow to the Spirit. We can take the Word of God in. We can apply the Word of God to our life and therefore reap the eternal life that the Spirit Apart from the Spirit, we have nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have nothing. Why? Because apart from God, we have nothing. If we, if we have received God through faith, and therefore then received His Word, and have been given it, we do no longer have to live to our own flesh, but we can live to the Spirit. And the Word of God can be sown in good works in our life, and the Word of God can reap the eternal life that is promised to all who have God's Spirit. So in turn, question number three, how should we be doing good then to everyone? So then we should be doing good, but how should we be doing good? Notice in verse 9 it says, without growing weary. Let us not grow weary in doing good. One of, the, one of the greatest scriptural examples I think of when I think of the idea of not growing weary in doing good comes from Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, we read about the, the Christians that the writer of Hebrews was writing to. And he said, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Here, here were Christians who had been thrown into prison, who had lost their freedom and probably were going to lose their life. And yet, and in Roman prison, we have to understand, like, it's not like our prisons today where they feed you at least three meals and, you know, they provide you with all sorts of stuff. In, in that day, they did not provide you with that. Your family had to come provide you with that. They had to bring food in for you. They had to provide for you clothing and, 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 and something to keep you warm at night. I mean, this was something that the, 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 the prison officials would not do. And so here you have Christians being thrown into prison. And, and, and during that day, when they converted to Christianity, they often lost their whole family. Their whole family would reject them, would turn away from them. You know, you, you've gone off to, to believe in this religion that is nothing like what we have grown up in in our, in our, in our Roman pantheism that we are growing up in. And so, so they would be rejected by their family. So if they were Jewish, definitely rejected by their family because they, they felt they'd turned away from Judaism to this new Jesus movement. And so here they, here the writer of Hebrews is describing these people in prison. Who's going to care for them? Their brothers and sisters in Christ. Their brothers and sisters in Christ come in and begin to show the compassion to those who are in prison. And what happens? Well, their brothers and sisters are in prison because they're Christians, and now you're coming in as a Christian to care for them, and what happens? Now you're labeled as a Christian, and you're 
property is taken from you. Your possessions are taken away. Maybe you end up losing your freedom as well. And yet, what does it say about them? They joyfully accepted them. They joyfully accepted them. They weren't growing weary in well-doing. When they saw their people in need, they sought to care for idea of not growing weary. Sometimes we can look at the world around us, and we're going to talk a little bit about that under the next point and all that's going on. I mean, we, we focus maybe on this idea of this pandemic, but there's there's seems to always be something going on. <laughs> there's always the weight of the world, and we can't we can't bear the weight of the world. We can't. And as we start to try, what happens? We grow weary. I mean, I grow weary with my own stuff. I don't even need your stuff to grow weary, right? And yet, the shoulders of Christ, the shoulders of our God, never weary weary. As we, if we find our strength in the right place, we following after him, him bearing the load, we will not grow weary in doing his Verse 10, it says, we're also do it as we have opportunity. Not when it's convenient. Not when it makes the most sense to us. Not when maybe even we are always the most safe. When we have opportunity. We're to be looking to use the life that God has given us and the place that he has placed us around, the people he has put us in relationship with, we are to be looking for opportunities to do good to others. There's call for us, based upon what we've been taught about God and who he is, that should motivate us to seize these opportunities. So without growing weary, without without just looking for convenience, we're meant to be doing good. Which leads me to this fourth question. And what theology would be helpful? In a time like this specifically, what theology would be helpful? What would drive us to not grow weary? What would drive us to seize the opportunities that are placed before us? And the first one I have here is the providence of God. That God is continually involved in all of his created things in a way that he keeps them existing and he maintains the properties of all that he's created. He cooperates in the actions of creation, directing it towards his ends to fulfill his purposes. When we begin to understand the providence of God in the face of something like a pandemic, we understand that as, as Christians, we are not people who should function out of fear or being afraid. But rather, we are people who put our trust in the God who is sovereign and guiding providence towards his purposes, towards his end. And the fact is we can look back at history and we can see and we can learn from history how we should trust in God and, and not give in to fear. Now, there are legitimate things to look back in history and to fear. And in light of a 
the, the idea of a pandemic, um, I, I thought about and, and read some articles on Spurgeon and his response to the cholera outbreak in 1854 uh, in England, and uh, Luther and his response to the plague, and how they desired to seek to not live out in fear, but rather to reach out, trusting God and care for those around him. Luther, this is described as packing his house with sick people, so much so that they quarantined his house. And uh, some people may think he might have gone too far. Um, One of his daughters ended up getting the plague and dying from it because of their care in opening their home to that. But he was driven by a desire to care for people, but not driven by fear, but a trust in God and what he was doing. Um, On the opposite end, there's some things that I've lived through that haven't really panned out. The fear was there, and yet... Uh, and yet there really wasn't a reason for it, like Y2K. Do you remember that? Some of us here do. Some of us don't if you're young. Y2K scared. Everybody, you know, packing their house full of stuff and afraid that, you know, society as a whole was going to break down and everybody's going to be looting them. And, and then we sat through it, and the clock ticked over from 19 to 20, and then there was nothing. So think about the things like the bird flu and the swine flu. While they were serious, I actually had the swine flu. Um, I thought it was kind of fitting with my size, but that I didn't get the bird flu. I got the swine flu. <laughs> uh, but, but there was like this great fear that kind of just kind of, after a while, just trickled away. It reminds us that, that as Christians, we're not to be driven by fear. Because fear, fear could be legitimate. It could be something to fear, um, like the, the, the Ebola stuff that goes on. I mean, it's just reading about that, like mild case of Ebola is 25% of those affected die. But a serious case, 95% of people die. I mean, and that happens today. I mean, there's, there's some legitimate fear that could be there. And yet, yet what, what do we have? We have Christians who, who are placing themselves in that situation to care for people Love people, trusting in God, not being motivated by fear. And yet, there's other things that, that our media want us to fear, <laughs> and yet aren't always legitimate fears. How do we navigate that? I mean, we don't know if this is something to, to be uh, the legitimate level of fear or not, but we, we don't want to uh, overemphasize something, but we don't want to underemphasize it either. What will stabilize us in that? Not if, we're, not if we're motivated by fear. We're, we can't find stability that way. But trust in God and God's providence is what brings stability to the Christian. To rest in God's plan and God's care. To put my confidence in Him. I think what C.S. Lewis, this was posted on, I believe it was Gospel Coalition's website, but C.S. Lewis wrote uh, 72 years ago. Um, he, he wrote this, and it rings true. And uh, so they just said to replace atomic bomb with the coronavirus. He says, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throats, 
any night. No offense to any Scandinavians in here. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, in an age of syphilis, in an age of paralysis, in an age of air raids, in an age of railway accidents, in an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. And uh, what fuels an idea like that? To trust in our God. Trust in the providence of God. God is continuing His purposes. The purpose has not changed. The purposes have not been thwarted. Our theology is a foundation we can stand on in these times. But also, we see up there the compassion of God. As we think about uh, the, the fear that is going on today, that many people don't have this foundation upon which to stand. And therefore, the compassion of God should be a, a theology that helps us build the right foundation on how to respond today. You see, we who have experienced the love of God and therefore can trust in the providence of God need to take that message. How do we know it? We know it because we were shown it. How? By the Father sending His Son to a dangerous place. Sending His Son to His death so that we might know His love and have His life. I mean, that is the compassion of our God. I, I quote this verse so often because it is just, it astounds me every time I think about it. God did not withhold his own son. How will he not give you all things? That's the compassion of our God, who is willing to give us his son. And therefore, I, I don't think we should doubt his compassion. Again, we don't want to make our situation novel. And I think the C.S. Lewis helps us with that as we think about that. It's not a novelty. There are... There are Plenty of ways to die in unpleasant ways before the coronavirus came around. And so it's not anything novel or anything new. Because some people might wonder, like, is God still in control? Does God love us? Is God punishing us? I would remind you that he gave his own son so that we might have life. 
matters the compassion of the Lord. But also, another helpful foundation would be the hope of Christianity. Our catechism asks us, what is our hope in life and death? We are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to our God and to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, the, 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 the Heidelberg Catechism asks the same question, but instead of placing hope there, it asks, what is our only comfort in life and death? And I think both of those are important. Like, current comfort right now in this time is that we belong to Him. That our hope is in Him and Him alone. Future Future hope is encompassed in him. He is the one who gives us hope. That's the hope of our Christianity. So, so no matter what comes about, no matter what end we end up facing, um, whether this, this pandemic ends up exploding into a huge major thing or fizzles out into nothing, guess what? We still belong to God. We are still his. And so we don't need to respond in fear we don't need to respond in despair rather we need to take every opportunity to share that hope with others your hope in life and death can be found only in belonging to god so i think those are helpful foundations obviously there are many more and the the, the bible is full of them uh, next question how then can we be doing good to everyone so just some time to think and apply this passage and these truths to our current situation. So this is called, as we are called to do good to everyone, what does this, what does this mean? Well, first, we do have a moral obligation. We have a moral obligation to care for people. And to ignore an infectious, the infectious nature of a disease would be, um, historically in the church, to violate the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Luther's small catechism reads, what does this mean, thou, you shall not murder? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Help and support him in every physical need so that we do not bring harm to them. So therefore, as a Christian, we have two crucial Duties. First, our moral obligation is to protect others by limiting the spread of this disease. And to ignore that duty is to fall into this murder aspect of the commandment. We need to take care with how we live in light of that. Try to seek to take precautions, be wise in the way we treat others, specifically those who are at most at risk. And with this virus, unlike many viruses, many viruses, they describe it as a, a U-shape effect and where the elderly and the young are most at risk. There are two sides of the U. But with this one, really, young people haven't been at a great risk. It's really older people. And so we need to be aware of that and help reduce those risks, specifically to the elderly. We need to be aware both of the elderly within our congregation, as the verse continues to say, especially do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So how can I best care and help protect them and support them in every physical need so as not to bring hurt or harm to them? But then also 
It says everyone, so those around us too. So my next door neighbor, Mike, who lives on his own, doesn't have family around here, would fall into this category of high risk. Like, How can I help him and not hurt him? What, how can I help support him? Do, do I need to go to the store for him? It's interesting, they, they ban, you know, gre- meetings of hundreds of people, and yet, you know, you go to Walmart and rub shoulders with like 500 people, <laughs> buying all the toilet paper and hand sanitizer you can, right? So what, what might be loving? Hey, can I, do you need anything? Can I run to the store and get that for you? So you don't have to be exposed uh, to all of that. Why? I, it's not that I'm just, I, I, you know, I live, danger is my middle name, you know. I mean, I am going to Walmart and Joliet, so maybe, <laughs> maybe that is true. <laughs> um, but no, because I, I'm so f- so f- lower in the risk category than he would be. So this is one way I can care, maybe demonstrate my moral obligation. But that would lead us into this Christ- Christian witness obligation too. Um, we're not meant to use the the, 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 the virus and the fear of death as an excuse to abandon our God-given duty towards those around us. I mean, the God-given duty of verse 10. Listen, as much as you may feel like you want to isolate yourself and just protect yourself and maybe your, your family, realize verse 10 still applies to us. We are meant to think outside of ourselves and beyond ourselves. We are meant to do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. It's not about stockpiling for ourselves, but rather we are meant to think as well about others. That's not to say don't be foolish and take no precautions for yourself. I am so selfless, I injected myself with a virus. No, that's that's not what we're talking about. Don't be foolish. Take precautions. Take precautions for yourself. Take precautions for your family. But don't be foolish as well by only caring about the precautions for yourself and your family. Because as Christians, that is foolish as well. Because God calls us to live beyond ourselves. As Christians, we know that our very existence in this world, which we don't belong in, in a sense, because we don't fit in. We're, we're different. We're pilgrims. We're travelers. We're ambassadors called here to live. This, our very existence calls us things beyond our own security and at times even to face the possibility of death and yet we know that death is not the worst that can happen to us and therefore for the good of our Christian witness we need to not be we need to not be the person who raids the aisles and takes all the stuff for themselves we need to think who's most at risk who's most at need how can I provide them? How can I care for them? How can I make sure that they are supported, they are helped in their physical need? This is part of our Christian witness obligation in this world that we live in a way that does good to others. Then we have an evangelistic obligation. Evangelist obligation is the greatest good we can do to anyone is to share the good news that can save their eternal soul. It says here we're meant to do good to everyone. 
And that is the greatest good we can give. It also says, that especially to those who are the household of faith, and maybe it is part of our responsibility that as well in light of the, the evangelistic opportunity and the sharing of the gospel to remind our brothers and sisters of that evangelistic opportunity or to remind our brothers and sisters of our Christian witness, of our, our moral obligation to speak God's truth into one another's Remind us, here is what we are called to do in light of what you have been taught. In light of what you've learned here at GLC and the other places you may have been growing up under God's word. In light of what you have learned so so that I might share in the good things that you do. In our current state of affairs, do good to everyone. Care. Show them the love of Christ. Stand firm, not motivated out of fear, but out of a trust in our God and the desire to live out his calling through us. Therefore, as I said at the beginning, our theology insists that we welcome the opportunities that exist right now, even while this pandemic and the fear of it is going on. Right now, we welcome the opportunity to do good to everyone. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give grace to us. Some of the choices we may have to make in the near future may be very difficult ones. We have to weigh between what it is to be foolish and and, and taking precaution for ourselves. Truly honoring you and taking care of others. I ask that you would give wisdom and grace so that we might live out what we have been taught, that we might truly seek to do good to those around us. Lord, help us help us to care effectively. Lord, if we know people who are highly at risk, whether they're elderly or whether they've struggled in the past with respiratory issues, Lord, may we be the first as Christians to say, how can I help? How can I support? Let us, let us not hide away waiting for this to pass. Let us be actively caring for those that are around us. And may you receive all the glory and honor and praise. May, may people see our, our lack of fearful responses existence of courage and trust as such a clear and unmistakable call for their need to know you. And then let us be faithful to share that gospel with them. Even, even if they never actually, never actually face a possibility of death by this coronavirus, the fact that the fear of death exists, Lord, may we help them understand that there is hope in life and death. There's hope in the in, in, in thinking through life and death, and it's only found in you. May we be faithful in this time. May we be your church to demonstrate that we are your people. You are our God. In Jesus' name.